0: said it before and I'll say it again. Uh, It takes a long time for us to reach our goals as an artist, as a filmmaker, as a photographer. It's all the same. Uh, If you're like me and you decided that you're going to walk away from that nine to five lifestyle and that steady paycheck and dive deep into the world of freelancing and the unsettling world of freelancing, never knowing where your next paycheck comes from. Uh, having to be a self-motivator, having to be your own boss, uh, you realize that it just takes time. And uh, it can be an often lonely experience, a lonely adventure. Um, And like I said before, it's all about putting in that eight years. You got to put in that eight years before anybody even knows what the fuck it is that you're doing. (laughs) And that's the truth of it. Um, And for me, it kicked right in on schedule. I remember when I started to get calls for stuff, I I sort of poked my head up from this little world that I was studying and creating and looked around and went, wow, I'm actually getting interest in my work. How long have I been doing this? Fuck, eight years. (laughs) Uh, So it's very true. Um, But one thing that I've also learned, and there are some of you that are listening to this show that have been in it as long as I have. Um, that at about the 10 year mark, 10 to 12 year mark is when I started to get approached by younger filmmakers, uh, people looking for advice, people looking for hope, um, people just struggling and trying to survive. Uh, And that's when I started this podcast. But I'm often asked, whether it's for photography or filmmaking, to come and speak, to be a guest speaker um, at either associations or groups or colleges Uh, Places where there are young folks that are about to jump, make the leap, and uh, decide to take on this lifestyle. Um, And I love doing it. It's one of my favorite things to do. I get to meet a lot of new, very talented young filmmakers and photographers. um, But it's also a great way for me to continuously check in on what my mindset is. Uh, Because uh, things are forever changing. And if you've been doing freelance, you know that you cannot rely on anything. And that also includes uh, your mindset. That also includes a lot of the things that you start to become comfortable with. Uh, Because you never know. Clients disappear. Landscape changes. Technology changes. You always have to be on your toes. Uh, And I've found that doing things like that, like speaking to younger generations and listening to what... Their interests are, and what their concerns are. It keeps me fresh. It keeps me current. Um, so I really enjoy it. Um, <clears throat> bear with me today, because I'm dealing with a really, like an aftermath of a pretty intense asthma attack, and so my voice is uh, a little raspy and worn. Um, but I'm gonna push through it today. Um, and I'm just recording this intro now as I wait for a phone call, because today's episode is gonna be interesting. Uh, I've been asked to uh, speak to be a guest speaker at a broadcast society at the Coutts University in Pennsylvania. Um, This young student, uh, Leon O'Brien, reached out to me and asked if I would speak to a group of people that he's putting together. And I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, man. It'd be awesome to do that. Um, And they also asked to screen 12KM, which is super cool. Um, So they're all sitting in class right now. Uh, watching 12km and after they finish watching it uh, we're gonna skype in they're gonna skype in and uh, I'll do a QA and I thought it might be interesting uh, to have that be an episode or a mini episode or whatever this ends up being um, because uh, you guys can hear a lot of the questions that uh, younger filmmakers are having as they approach the business or they decide to leave the nest that is film school and go out into the real world um and so maybe these guys will ask a lot of questions that you guys have um so it could be a cool episode we'll try it out we'll see if it works um so they're gonna be calling in about five minutes so i should get my act together so uh you know the deal grab your noise canceling headphones find a nice quiet place get yourself a snack and uh sit back relax and enjoy my raspy voice <laughs> on the new episode Of and love with the process
1: okay so first off i want to say thank you uh i'm liam this is heather heather's out of screen there she is this is heather Uh, and we're the um she you are the president
2: president of national broadcasting society and liam's the events planner and alumni coordinator
1: So cool. Yeah. Yeah. And um, what we've been doing this semester, basically, is just trying to get as many people uh, to come in and talk to our chapter and our uh, classmates and everyone who's interested at our school about what it's like to work in the industry after we graduate, because um, we uh, we're learning. We're learning a lot of how to use equipment and uh, produce different projects. But um, something that we're trying to do outside of class is figure out what it's actually like to work.
0: <laughs> yeah, It's would say so. It's,
1: so, can we start with that?
0: It makes a lot of sense. You guys want to know that? <laughs> um, yeah is that is that a question, or you want me to you want me to dive into that? Like, what would you like?
1: Uh, yeah. Can we? Well, real quick, can we get some uh, feedback on just your, uh, your background? I gave a little bit of info on who you are, but for a couple of the people in this room, I didn't get to talk to uh, individually about what it is you do and who you are.
0: Sure, man. Uh, these days, I am primarily a photographer. No, I'm sorry. I'm primarily a director. Um, I have been a photographer. I've been a director of photography. Uh, I've been an editor. Uh, and a producer, I've done a lot of different things. Um, I've had a, produ- a post production company and a production company for about 10 years. Um, and I produce and direct uh, these little short proof of concept films in between uh, doing commercials and music videos. I started years ago in the music video industry uh, with my uh, old business partner, Ian McFarland. And uh, the two of us started to do some pretty big uh, music acts, music videos for music acts. So we uh, we're doing stuff, uh, a lot of stuff in the heavy metal, hardcore world, is where we started. Um, we've done all the videos for Kill Switch Engage since Jesse's joined the band again. Um, and then we did a famous Mashuga video years ago, which got us in front of Ozzy Osbourne. Um, and so for years we thought we were going to be music video directors and then, uh, the music industry kind of crashed and everybody stopped buying CDs and shit. Um, and, uh, the first people to get cut are, uh, the outside, (laughs) the outside contractors. So, uh, having a career in music videos is pretty hard to do these days. Um, so we changed our plan and, uh, started to do more commercial work uh, but my goal had always been and continues to be uh, just building the skills to do features and to do films and stuff. Awesome. Um, yeah. I actually,
1: uh, one of the first questions that I had for you specifically um, was about those tools because I listen to your podcast nonstop. I've messaged you about that. Um, and I know there are a couple people in the crowd here that do listen to your podcast as well. Cool. Uh, yeah. they're Right? Right, guys? Yeah. Uh, so
0: yeah, that's right. Say yes, everybody. Say yes. Yes. <laughs> Say yes. Yeah, yeah. There it is. Good, that good,
1: good. <laughs> there it is. But no, seriously. Um, you you do have uh some support here, and and it's growing. But the um, what you talk about a lot on the podcast is your toolkit. Yep. And uh, as people that are about to enter in the into the industry, um, that's what we're doing right now. We're trying to build our own toolkits. So I was kind of wondering what. When you say toolkit, what are some of the things that you mean about uh, what's in yours? And what are some things that we should be focusing on making sure that we have in our toolkit?
0: Well, let me ask, um, let me blindly ask, because I can't see you guys. Um, nice. How long, so most of you in the audience, like, what is the general consensus? How long have you guys been working on movies? How long have you guys been interested in movies? Hit hey, hey me. Okay. So okay. So a little over a year. Anybody else? 3 years. Kind
2: of a, the life. my life. Okay. Yeah. So, so fire life. there. <laughs>
1: so <laughs> r- roughly around yeah, like under 5 years. I mean, yeah, that's that's where I'm at as well.
0: Okay, cool. Now, and that's completely normal. That's I- exactly what I expected. Um I've said this uh, before on my podcast. I'm sure you guys have heard it. It took me a while to realize when I first started. So I went to school in uh, New York. I went to New York Film Academy years ago. um, And that was sort of the result of me trying to go to a four-year school and having that four-year school at the time tell me that I wasn't able to pick up a camera for two years. Um, And I was like, well, what am I paying you for? (laughs) (laughs) And so I kind of ran out of there and and I found New York Film Academy at their early sort of infant years. I think it was like 1999 or something. Um, And uh, I went to New York and tried to teach myself how to be a director in in a city that I had no contacts in, in a place that I had no connections or family and produced three short films. And one of the biggest lessons like that school really didn't teach me much about directing. Uh, But it taught me how to produce, and it taught me how to uh, actually go for it myself and really be self-motivated. And uh, we start talking about the toolkit, and the reason why I bring this up is that the first thing in your toolkit needs to be self-motivation, and you need to have a system in place, like an emotional system, an emotional routine that gets you self-motivated. Uh, the one thing that had me motivated for my first five years was fear. It was just pure fear. Uh, Because before I decided to become a filmmaker, I was like an airplane mechanic. I was a house painter. I was a car mechanic. I did everything. I was working in a music store. um, And I had pretty much that nine-to-five lifestyle. And making that initial jump from that nine-to-five lifestyle is a really scary thing because I don't know if you guys have it. You guys are in school, so I don't know if you guys have a steady paycheck or if you have money coming in or you're worried about rent. Um, Once you decide that you're going to try to make money off your art, which is completely reliant upon your social networking, your social skills, and your ability to self-promote and uh, your curiosity, uh, it's a scary thing. And I think that one of the big tools in the toolkit that I would heavily suggest as you guys start out there is be afraid uh, and be self-motivated. And don't let that fear keep you from going into the business. Let that fear fuel you. So there's 150 different reasons why when you wake up first thing in the morning, you could do anything other than work in this business. I mean, hell, you can start binge-watching some bullshit on Netflix and disappear for two or three days. Uh, There's so many distractions out there and you really have to embrace the fact that this is a lifestyle choice. And to be successful in this industry, you guys are gonna be working for free for years. And that's a difficult pill to swallow. um, That uh, unfortunately in our business, PAs get paid, paid barely anything. When you first start out, you get paid just enough maybe for gas a lot of the time. Um, And then you can't just rely on paid gigs to do your work. You actually have to go out there and do a lot of free work. And you have to go out there and do a lot of networking work. Um, And one of the things, the second thing I have in my toolbox is contacts and personal relationships that were made pretty early on uh, in my career And those are things where like, you're hanging out on set or you're hanging out with a couple of uh, quote-unquote other filmmakers that are starting and they're like, hey, look, I'm putting together a project. I need a crew. Yeah, I'll go do it. And you start to do trade stuff. And that's a big thing. And one of the interesting parts about trade is that A, when you are going to do your own project, you can call back on that person who might be a great sound mixer or might be a good actor or have some sort of skills that you can utilize. But... Um, You're also building uh, a learning relationship with these people. So you're coming up, so you start to understand what their skill sets are. You start to understand what they can bring to the table uh, to your ideas and to your projects. uh, And you start building a Rolodex. such an old term. You start building a contact list (laughs) uh, that uh, you are going to rely on 100%. And you're going to rely on that list for your first few years as you go through this business. Um, so those are the two big things in the toolkit. And then the other thing that, um, yeah, the toolkit's such a big, it's such a big term. Basically what it is, is it's, it's, a, it's a, like a knowledge database. So it's all about experience in this business. I, I can guarantee you, unless you go to work for some corporate company that is gonna hire you to come in to do crappy videos for shit money, Uh, Most people in this business, I have never been asked for a college diploma or a college degree. They're never going to ask to see that. They're always going to look and ask you, what's your experience? What have you done? How many hours have you spent on set? Um, Are you reliable? That's a big thing. Um, And so that experience and that time on set is basically what I call the toolkit. So... When I first started and uh, I was just jumping on uh, film sets whenever I could, I ended up moving closer to, the, to Boston. So I live in Boston. I'm on the East Coast. And I moved in closer to the city because there was a film community here in the city. And then I just started to go out drinking and hanging out with as many people as I could in this business. And I remember a good friend of mine who is now uh, one of like a big Hollywood key grip He invited me uh, and we had been out for drinks. I hung out at a party of his and he invited me onto his film set and I really didn't have a position Um, and I was just sort of hanging out on the set and I I really wasn't working for him. I was just hanging out and I spent a week just sort of floating between all the different departments. Like I hung out with sound mixer for a couple of days and learned about sound mixing and boom op and mic placement and all that kind of stuff. And then I hung out with the lighting crew and learned about that. Um, so it's, uh, all those, all those experiences are the pieces that I put into what I call the toolkit. Um, and I can continue on this, but I, I've heard my voice a little too long and I have, I can, I can't tell if you guys are all sleeping or give me the finger. I don't know what's going on over there.
1: Uh, no, one <laughs> of us is giving you the finger in the back. No, uh, no, this is all, this is all really cool stuff and stuff that, um, specifically when you said the fact that nobody asked for a degree, there were a lot of heads turning over here. Uh. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's an unfortunate thing. Like if you guys were listening to the show, you know, in the first couple of episodes, my um, my uh, my old assistant or my old intern, uh, Dave uh, Apostolides, he was working for me as part of his like embedded in work program. At, I think where was he going? Simmons or Suffolk or I don't know. He was going to some school for it. Um, And he was hanging out with me and basically was my assistant like every other week. Um, and I, he was like two years into school and I was like, Oh dude, drop out. <laughs> and I hate telling that to you guys because you're going to have, uh, the stress of that student loan breathing down your neck. Um, and it's going to be a while before you can start making loot. And then a lot of folks that are in your position end up uh, feeling that stress. And so then they start to get desperate and they start to make decisions to go work for shit money for like these uh corporate companies and basically what's going on in the industry right now is that a lot of these corporate companies have decided that they don't want to pay actual rates for what things are supposed to cost so like if you're going to make a commercial and do something uh, you usually hire a production company and that production company hires all the crew different crew positions and a lot of these different companies that are out there right now have decided hey guess what we'll just make some position random position and we'll give uh, some young kid maybe forty-five grand a year, uh, and they have to do everything on their own. And they're not going to have any budgets. They're not going to be able to do this stuff. And that I, I saw that sort of rise in the past three years, um, and I think it's kind of on the decline now because the companies are realizing that they even though they throw money at these poor poor kids, they can't pull it off at the scale that they used to be able to pull it off. Um, but just be cautious of that as you go out into the industry and you start to get desperate. For money, uh, there's going to be a bunch of these big companies that will offer you, you know, hey, you know how to use a camera? Cool. You know how to use a Premiere? Great. You know, how would you like a full-time gig? Um, and if you do take something like that because you need to take something like that, then go and do that job if there's something for you to learn. Like if they're going to give you full access to an edit system that you haven't messed with, or if you're going to have gear that you can use to shoot your own stuff. And then don't stay there long. Just do like a year or whatever, and then bail because you get trapped in those jobs. I have so many dudes that I came up with in the business that, that caved quote unquote caved early. And then they became trapped in those job positions and they would work in those things for like five, six years. Uh, and then like all corporate companies do, they just suddenly cancel it and they're like, well, you're fucked. And you're out in the street. And then these guys don't have the skills to freelance. They don't, they don't understand the life for freelancing. So little safety tip, be cautious as you get out of school and be ready to uh, not send that, send that check for that, for that student loan for a while. Just dodge those guys as long as you can.
1: <laughs> that's really sound advice. That's good. No, um, that, that's always nice to be told to dodge loan collectors.
0: Uh. <laughs> well, dude, it's the truth. I mean, if you look uh, I, I'm the worst guy to give advice for, for people in school. If you look at, uh, if you look at any major filmmaker, like if you are fans of, um, oh my God, my brain just blanked out. What's his name? He directed drive. He directed, uh, yes. You look at him. He has gone bankrupt like three times. Um, and it's kind of what happens in our business is that you end up having to gamble, And you have to gamble on a job. You have to gamble on a project. You have to gamble on an idea. And then you may kill it. You may do such a great job at it. But at the end of the day, as you start to progress, there are forces that are well beyond your control that are deciding whether or not your movie should be made or whether or not you get the job. And oftentimes you fail. And failing is not because you're not good at the job, not because you haven't been trained at the job, just because of fucking circumstance. And pardon my F-bomb, by the way. Um, just because of circumstance, you'll fail, and you just have to understand that it's okay to fail. It's part of the process. All the big people fail. Uh, just be ready and have that strength to pull yourself back up and get started again. Um, and just push, 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 push. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I. It's interesting because you, you
1: mentioned that um – we need to be focusing on, well, at least be understanding of that we're going to probably have to freelance at some point and, yep. and being like prepared for that. Um, what, like, because we don't really have a specific freelancing, uh, program here or mm-hmm. any classes that really teach us how to freelance. We're working on it. We are <laughs> all these guys know that, uh, uh, we've been pushing really hard to, uh, get something like that. Um, What's something that, okay, we know how to shoot a camera, but what do we need to know to
0: freelance? I could tell you how I started freelancing. So when I, when I came, when I finished up uh, my New York Film Academy course, uh, a bunch of my fellow classmates were like, Hey, let's stay in New York. Let's get a apartment and let's try to make it here in New York. And uh, I was like, I don't know if I want to do that because I saw what uh, I could do in a crazy city like that, as far as like convincing people to let me shoot in their places and getting actors and getting all that sort of stuff. And I'm like, imagine what I could do for my own little films in a city where I have connections and I have contacts and I have stuff. Um, and so I decided that I wasn't going to stick around in New York and I was going to go back to Boston and start my own company in Boston. And by company, I mean start up a DBA, which ended up becoming an LLC that was myself so you know it's there's a certain there's a certain way to set up stuff for tax purposes and if you're going to become a freelancer you have to create a company and that company is yourself and then depending upon what you're selling like if you end up deciding that you want to be a camera operator if you want to be a lighting technician if you want to be a sound person um, if you want to be even a PA or an assistant it's smart to set up your own little, it's usually a DBA is the way to start because it's very inexpensive to start a DBA. I think it's like 50 bucks or something here in Massachusetts. Um, And then eventually you become an LLC. Uh, And then you form your own little company and that's when you get ready to go out and and start freelancing. Um, And usually for me that happened pretty quickly because I came home and I realized, look, I was in the position that you guys are in. Like I'm screwed. So I, I need to find a job. I'm not going to go work at some other place because that place is going to demand hours for me. And those hours are going to be hours that I'm not focusing on learning the craft, figuring out lenses, like learning the visual language of cinema. Um, so I, I got to jump right into freelance. And this is like 99, 2000. So at the time I came home and basically grabbed the yellow pages and flipped to the yellow pages and found every local producer. I could and just called the local producers and offered my help as an assistant, as a PA. Uh, and now it's a little bit different. It's a little bit easier. You don't flip through a phone book anymore. I don't even think anybody has a phone book. Um, but you can actually reach out to any local producers that are in your area, people that do corporate videos, people that do uh, commercials. Um, there's, they're all over the place. And then just offer your services and just come out and say, look, I'd like to be an assistant. You know, if you can give me a PA rate, that's great. Or how about I just come and volunteer my time on a couple of your jobs and see if we get along, that kind of thing. And uh, I think the first gig that I had, I was, and this is this shows how dated it is, I was literally in his office labeling VHS tapes because <laughs> he, was, he was running out dubs for clients. Um, and within a week, I had him convinced that I was going to go on a shoot with him. And within uh, a month, I was lighting for his corporate videos. Um, and so I was working under the DPs that he was hiring for his corporate videos and I was learning about lighting and I was learning about three-point lighting and interview setups and all that kind of stuff on the job and I was getting a small rate. So I would get just enough to be able to pay for food and and maybe pay a little bit of rent. And that was kind of it. Um, and that's how I started my business. Um, and I think... If you're gonna get into the freelance world, so you guys are all out in Pennsylvania, right?
1: Yeah, Pennsylvania. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. I don't know what they have for film. What do they have for film industry out there?
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. So yeah, everybody's saying Philly. Um, there's so we're we're just uh, a little bit west and a little bit south of uh, the Lehigh Valley, and okay. there are a couple bo- uh, boutique shops in uh, the Lehigh Valley, specifically Allentown and Bethlehem. Um, I personally have interned at one of them. Um, and we've got honestly some decent, uh, sports stuff to be able to do that. Uh, a lot of the stuff that I've done as a PA, uh, was a lot of healthcare, um, like interview style with doctors, meet your doctor, that sort of stuff.
0: Yep. Yep. They do a lot of that here in Boston too. Uh, Boston's like one of the, the the top medical capitals of the, of the country. So, There's, there's a buttload of uh, corporate video stuff that's in this city. I, I, I would say this. If you don't feel like... Like, if you guys want to get into film, if you guys want to get into editing, if you guys want to get into DP work or cinematography or any of that kind of stuff, um, you should put yourself in a place where there is an industry. And Boston has an industry now because they have a really sort of great tax incentive, and that tax incentive has brought in, like, a lot of big Hollywood movies. So Boston's a great place for crew work. Uh, Boston's awesome. Louisiana's awesome. Georgia's awesome. I think Detroit revoked theirs. That's a crooked, crooked city anyways. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, myself, like I've been doing this for 18 years. This year I'm actually finally moving out to California because I have to. Um, so I would say that if you have access to where you are, to work for a corporate company or work, I'm I'm sorry, work for like a corporate uh, video producer or commercial producer just to start a a resume, essentially. So if you can go PA for a couple of these dudes um, and uh, just get on set and show that you can be reliable, get a really good reference. Uh, One of the things I would tell all my assistants when they started working for me and one thing I learned really early was Learn how to pack my car with all that gear because that is an invaluable job position and all the uh, PAs and assistants that could pack my car with the gear uh, without me having to walk them through it and direct them on how to do it, they got called all the time. And if you're a good PA, um, PAs generally make about 200, I think it rates about 200 a day right now. Um, and if you can hook up with a really good Producer or a couple producers and be known as a great PA, um, you can get a lot of work. And the cool thing about a PA is that you basically have the opportunity to jump from position to position or work for different departments. And so it's a really great way for you to sort of examine all these different departments and decide which one works for you. Like, there's a lot of people, like, most people when they get out of film school, they're like, I want to direct or I want to be a cinematographer. Um, and then they go out and they work in the industry and some of them see what it's really like and what the job is actually like. And, uh, some of them fall in love with other positions. Uh, some of them, like I I had a friend that I started with, um, that wanted to direct, but he was a fantastic sound mixer and he really jumped in hard and he decided, look, I'm going to learn sound. I'm going to become a sound mixer. I'm going to buy my own gear. Uh, by the way, sound men make a ton of money. It's a great freelance position. To be someone that knows sound, awesome freelance position. Um, and so he hustled hard, hard for years. Ended up working his way into the union here in, in, in Boston. Ended up working for Ben Affleck here in Boston, doing like the town and uh, doing all that stuff. And then moved to New York and he is now Woody Allen's sound mixer. He's Ben Affleck's sound mixer. He does all of the big movies uh, and he makes he makes a buttload of money. And he's very happy doing it. So uh, you never know what position you're going to like. Um, and the best way to figure that stuff out is to uh, become a PA or become an assistant.
1: Awesome. Yeah, that's that's nice to know. And especially the fact that it's 200 bucks a day is what we should be looking at.
0: Yeah, I, dude, honestly, I when I hire people and I put together crews... Uh, because you know productions are like building a house. So you have a client that comes to you with a lump sum of money if you're a producer, and then you have your crew. You have your team of people that you have in your rolodex, and you have to outfit your crew. And you got to get a shooter, you got to get lighting guys, you got to get wardrobe, you got to get all these folks. And you usually have a rolodex of like five or six different people that you love to work with in each of these positions. And really, it's a game of who's available at that point. But when it comes to PAs and assistants. I will take someone that's cool to hang out with over someone that has experience. And I will take someone that is reliable and someone that has some, some goddamn common sense <laughs> over someone that has like an awesome resume. Um, because I've seen a lot of PAs, my, my assistant um, Tony, Tony Fernandez started my assistant uh, probably 12, 13 years ago. And he went through every position And eventually became um, a color grader. And that's kind of where he ended up. But he was like, he was my directing assistant on 12 kilometers. He was a writing assistant for a lot of stuff. And he eventually found his way to color grading. And when I initially hired him, he had zero experience. I think his experience was that he used to set up uh, wrestling rinks for the WWE. And uh, he's like, I have no problem getting my hands dirty. And I'm like, cool, let's do it, man. And uh, I loved him. And he was with me for years and years and years. So that's the trick, I think. The trick is being cool, be someone that you want to hang out with, and uh, be someone that's reliable, you know? Awesome. It
1: sounds simple. <laughs>
0: it's, dude, it's, it actually is. I mean, it's not as complicated as you think. Like getting and working on teams and crews, like I said, if you're not in a place that has the jobs, move to a place that does. And then getting on cruise, there's so much work out there right now because there's so much content being created. Uh, You have all these like streaming services, Netflix, Hulu, and all that shit. And then people are doing long running shows, long running stuff. Um, And then there are still those jobs for the commercial people. There are still those jobs for the corporate guys. And everybody's looking for talented people. And one thing that's really difficult is that usually when you find someone talented, they're, riding, they're rising up pretty quickly and they're moving on. So at that low position, there's always an opening because pe- people are cont- cont- uh, continuously advancing. Um, so just like I said, be fucking cool. <laughs> you, could, you could probably get a job pretty quickly. Alright guys, so you know the deal. This is that moment, uh, the part of the show where I got to take a break and thank the sponsors that keep us here, keep us going. Uh, We got to give some love to the guys and girls that continuously support me and support the show. I'm very excited about it. I hope you guys are enjoying what has turned out to be more of a lecture (laughs) Then a conversation. Uh, didn't realize that I would be talking this much. So, And I know I'm saying a lot of stuff that you guys have heard in other episodes, uh, but stick with it because there's some really cool new rant and raves that I end up doing as the show progresses. Uh, but let's get through the reads really quick. So first up are my good buddies over at Puget Systems. If you're a young filmmaker, if you're a young photographer and you're in the uh, market for a new computer, and you're uh, still used to buying the big, expensive brands, uh, and you really haven't seen the performance out of them for the money, or you're tired of uh, basically throwing the thing out in two years, you want to buy a computer that'll last you for some time. I mean, I've had my PCs now for going on four years, four and a half years, and they still work perfectly. Um, I would suggest looking into PCs, Uh, You could try to build your own PC, but if you're looking to get a computer that you can buy out of the box, ready to go, with good customer support and service, I would check out the good fellas over at Puget Systems. Go to PugetSystems.com. You can choose a base level or base model machine uh, based upon the software that you're going to use. So it's very easy. You can select, hey, I'm going to be cutting with uh, Premiere. What systems do you suggest? Or I'm going to be using this primarily as an After Effects machine. Uh, what systems do you suggest? Because unlike the other manufacturers out there, these guys are honest about it. The fact that different software programs require different hardware configurations, it's the truth. Um, so you can build your machine out specifically for a certain software that you like, or you can build a good run of the mill, sort of halfway between, kind of works really well on both systems machine. I've got an awesome machine that runs Premier, runs all the Adobe products the way I need them I use it primarily as an edit machine and a Photoshop machine and it's it's really awesome I think it's like a customized version of their Genesis 2 systems Um, and I have it beefed out so that I can run 4k real-time so it's a really cool machine really good option for you so like if you're out in the market right now and you want to spend some loot and you want to have some money left over to go out and pick up like a really good calibrated monitor Or you want to pick up like a really great set of speakers, or any of those extra trimmings? uh, Definitely look into a PC because it doesn't matter anymore. PCs let you run out ProRes. That's the last step. That was the last thing the PCs couldn't do. So now you can do everything you can do on a Mac on a PC. So look into it. Check them out. PugetSystems.com. Second up, constant supporters of mine, uh, Rule Boston Camera. So if you're a filmmaker in the market, young filmmaker. And you're desperately trying to keep up with all the new products that come out into the marketplace, and it's impossible to do, right? Because every time you buy a camera, two years later, that camera's off the market. No one gives a shit about it. There's a brand new camera out there. Stop. Keep your overhead down. Make a really good relationship with your local rental house. Um, and if you're on the East Coast, I suggest rural Boston camera. Not only will these guys teach you and train you on how to use the latest and greatest gear, uh, but they're there for great customer support and support in general. So if you have a producer that you work for, if you're a freelance shooter, uh, and that producer wants you to shoot with the brand new RED or a brand new uh, Alexa, uh, you can get your hands on that stuff. And these guys will be that there for you uh, if you're shooting locally and stuff goes down. And we all know that when you're on set, equipment can fail, does it all the time. And if you're ordering stuff from a rental company online you're kind of screwed uh, not only can you not go test the gear and check the gear out ahead of time you're basically stuck with what you get because you can't call them on the phone and get something immediately uh, with a company like rule boston camera they will literally drive you out a replacement piece of equipment so you can pretty much guarantee that your shoot's going to continue um, they're amazing dudes i love them to pieces if you're on the east coast and you're looking for gear only place to call rule boston camera Um, and if you're not on the east coast there are plenty of other amazing rental houses across the country Um, i highly suggest you go form a relationship with them it's very easy to do and uh oftentimes you don't need to have insurance you can sign an insurance waiver there's all sorts of different steps involved and i know strangely there's a lot of young filmmakers that are intimidated by these big rental places Uh, if you show up uh, you start to have a conversation with your rental agent Uh, They usually fall in love with you and next thing you know, it's a long-term relationship I literally have had a relationship with rule for about 18 years now. So think about that Okay Um, And then if you want to support the show, please go to inlovewitheprocess.com You can click on a donation button there. Give us five bucks if you like the show The money goes right back into the show. It helps me pay for subscription services Help me pays for hosting fees all that kind of stuff Um, or if you are low on cash, you can sign up for a free trial uh, at Audible. If you haven't done it yet, you can sign up for a free trial at Audible. It's Audible... I think it's audibletrial.com. I'm so terrible with it. I'm going to put the link underneath here, Uh, but it's In Love With The Process at audibletrial.com. I think that's what it is. Link will be below. Sign up. Everybody that signs up that hasn't already signed up before, uh, we'll get some loot from that. And then you get 30 days for free, They'll give you a free book. You're going to love it. You'll probably stick with it. I love using Audible. There's a bunch of audiobooks that I've finally been able to listen to because I never have time to sit down and read a book. Um, And let's say for some weird reason uh, you can't afford it and you have to cancel, doesn't matter. We still get paid. So all you have to do, if you haven't done it already, uh, follow the link below, sign up for a free trial at Audible using the In Love With The Process link, um, and we'll get some loot. And you'll support the show, and it won't cost you anything. There you go. All right. Those are the reads. Um, Let's get back into it. Like I said, there's a bunch of cool stuff that comes from this conversation. I go to a bunch of really great places, uh, and I start to get into some really good Q&A. So if you are a film student, and uh, you're in the same position that these uh, folks are, where it's like, oh my God, I'm getting out of film school, what's next? We talk about what's next. So stick with me.
1: There's um, so we actually just watched before we called you. We just watched uh, a couple of the Killswitch Engage music videos that you uh you did, and then we watched the Mashuga video that you did, uh, uh, Bleed. We did we watched Bleed by Mashuga, and then we also just watched Twelve KM. So I'm actually cool. gonna turn it over to anybody here if they have any questions about the actual technical or uh you know production uh, that went into it. So does yeah, anybody? Please. Does anybody have questions about that stuff? Oh, cool. We got one. Do you want to walk up here? Uh, Yeah, sure. Cool. (laughs) We're doing the awkward shuffle right now. It's great.
0: (laughs) Yes, come closer. Come closer to the faceless voice.
2: (laughs) Um, So uh, I was wondering, uh, for the set, did you use an old factory and drill a hole for that? Or did you just find a place that happened to... Have a hole in the ground like that.
0: (laughs) Oh, for 12 cam? Yeah. Uh, I could give you the medium length story for this. The the longer version of a shorter answer is uh, a a year or so before that, um, before I had the head injury and before I almost died and was inspired to make that movie, um, I was making a fan film. I did a, a Punisher fan film. Um, that Marvel ended up shutting down. Um, and when I was scouting out that fan film, I found this really amazing location. It was this old warehouse outside of uh, Boston, out in this little town called Franklin. And there's a lot of old mills out here in New England or were until the real estate market got r- ridiculous. Um, and I found this old mill and this mill was amazing. It had like probably like five or six different floors. And each floor was stuck in a different time period. So as you started on the ground floor, it was like a machine shop, like this mill shop that uh, felt like it was built in the fifties, and then they had offices that were in the sixties, and it just continued. Uh, so it was a really cool spot. And we ended up shooting this Punisher short down in this mill shop uh, that was really amazing, and no one could see it because uh, you know the the big beast that is the uh, the mouse ended up clamping down on me. Um, but, uh, after I had done that shoot, uh, when I was putting together 12 cam, I was looking around for uh, like an amazing location for it because it's tough. I had to create 1980s Russia. I had to have a a drill site. Um, and so I, I was locations got all sorts of spots. Like I got access to this power plant that was closing down. I got to walk through this amazing power plant. Um, and it felt very like Terminator, like 1980s Terminator with like great floors and shit. And I thought that I thought that was really cool, but then the schedule didn't align, um, and there was a couple other locations that I was looking at, and it, all of them were falling through. And I remember how great the locations guy, like the relationship I had with the location guy at that Punisher place, and they had like this weird little loading dock area that I'm like, ah, it seems a little small, but maybe I can make it work. Um, and so I ended up going over and scouting. And uh, I I sort of did a walkthrough which ended up being that long steady cam shot. And I ended up walking through this place and plotting it out and trying to figure out like, hey, if I design the office here and I design what I call the sound altar on the other side and I can figure all this stuff out. And if I do a long opening shot, then the audience will know where everything is. Okay, this will kind of work. And I remember turning to the locations guy. And this is that benefit of me coming back to Boston. And the location, the dude that owned the location was like, You're going to do, uh, this movie's going to be good for you? I said, yeah, it's going to be great. Um, This is going to be the one that I I put everything into. And he goes, okay, so I'll let you have the location for a month for free. Which was was insane. It was insane. And so at that point, I'm like, yep, yep, this is where we're going to shoot no matter what. Um, And he enabled me to have my production design team building sets for a month in that spot, which was important for me because most of the production design people were all working on Hollywood productions here in the city at the time. So they would literally go do a 12-hour day on a Hollywood shoot. I think they were working on like, what are they working on? RIPD or whatever, that crappy movie that came out. <laughs> I think they were working on that. And uh, they would come after a 12-hour day, come work for about five hours on my set overnight and then go back to work the next day. Um, so they were champions for that, um, and we just built uh, that stuff. So we didn't drill a hole in the ground. We actually built a platform, and then I had uh, my buddy Larry Sampson, who's an amazing production designer, sort of design the top of that hole, design what the what the the thing would look like. And it's not re- it's not to scale because in, in the real world, those holes are probably about about maybe a foot wide but I had to make it a little bit bigger because I needed to look cool. Um, And uh, so he put that together and then uh, it's all about being resourceful. Like uh, I remember the production designer that was working on the shoot, uh, this other guy, Travis Harrington, uh, came to me and I had, I was like, we're going to build the set and I sort of designed what the office was going to look like because we built the office and we were building all these different areas and uh, he was trying to budget it out and he came back to me uh, a couple of weeks before the shoot, and he was like, um, "I don't have enough money for the lumber for this." Oh. And and I remember just saying to him, "Like, what do you mean you don't have enough money for the lumber?" He's like, "I don't have enough money for the lumber." And I'm like, oh, "Hold on!" And he called me on the phone, and I was in the car, and I was like, "Hold on!" And so I hung up on him, and I drove around Franklin because Franklin is like a like a wood sort of po dunky little neighborhood. Um, and I found this old school hardware store, and I pulled in. And they had, I swear to God, they had, like, the saloon, Western saloon, like, swinging both ways door that you push your way into, you know? Uh, And so I pushed my way into this dusty old hardware store, and this place was probably built in the 50s. The people that are working there have been there since then. They're all these old, wearing, like, overall suspenders and that whole thing, and they're just, you know, fat behind the counter. It's kind of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but, you know, a little bit... (laughs) a little bit more friendly. And I walked into this place and uh, these guys still look at me sideways as I come in and and I'm like, all right, so here's the deal. I've got a really weird question and a really odd ask for you. And they were interested right off the bat because their days are generally boring at this spot. So they were like, okay, what's up? And I'm like, so around the corner, I'm shooting a movie. And since you're in this small little town, people are like, well, what? And you're like, yeah, so I'm going to do this movie. And I gave him the, the log line. I'm like, it's about Russians and it's going to be the sci-fi film and it's really cool. It's going to be awesome. And, uh, they're like, they were totally in. They're like, Oh yeah, we love movies. We love sci-fi. We love all that stuff. And I was like, yeah, well, here's, here's what I'm, here's my ask. I'm not going to come in here and ask you guys to give me lumber for free. Cause I know that it costs you stuff. I know that you guys have overhead and you guys have to handle that, but, do you guys have any like piles of shitty wood, like piles of crap that you don't use? Like, what do you guys have kicking around that you, you have to throw away? And the guy was super excited and he's like, Oh dude, I got a whole pile of stuff. And so he ended up walking me out into the lumber yard and their idea of quote unquote crap was perfect stuff. And it was aged and it needed to be aged. And the guy was like, anything you could fit in your truck, you can have. And so I called up the production designer. I'm like, I got the lumber for free. So take that money and put it somewhere else. And I think that's a really good lesson on as you start to uh, produce your own stuff because you're going to need to. You're going to need to make your own films because the only way anybody's ever going to give you the time of day is if they watch your material and they like your material. Um, The one thing to take into consideration is we live in a time and I don't want to lecture. We live in a time where everybody texts and everybody's on their fucking phones all the time. And if you have the ability to go in and charm folks, if you have the ability to go in and talk to people in real life and they fall in love with you, they will give you anything. And it's not like you're taking from them. You're just collaborating with these people. And they're a lot of fun. And, and I love those guys at the hardware store. They're really cool dudes. I invited them to the screening. Um, they're really great guys, and I couldn't have done it without them. Um, and so, I think that's a long answer to a short question. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> be, cool. yeah. be be cool, but also like understand that this is a social job. Like if you're getting into it, no matter what the no matter what the position is, if you're going to get into it as a director, m- most importantly, it's a social position. Like you have to have the confidence to convey um, an idea to a bunch of people that may or may not know you. And there's a big difference between confidence and arrogance. And when I was younger, I used to confuse the two because when you first start out, you're nervous. There's no way to be a director unless you're a director. And the only way you can be a director is if you convince people to work for you. And in the beginning, I I was arrogant about it. And I'm like, I know what the fuck I'm doing and I know how to do this. And... Uh, I learned quickly that that doesn't work, <laughs> um, and so you really have to learn to communicate with folks, and you really you really have to learn uh, empathy to be a filmmaker.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. Well, uh, thanks for us, uh, answering my question. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I hope it wasn't too boring.
2: No, it was fine. <laughs> Thank you. Anybody got another? Anybody got a
1: question burning them? Yeah, walk up. Hey, so this is a question about uh, 12 kilometers. Watching the film, I got like a thing vibe from it with like the whole in the middle of nowhere with uh, some weird beast going after these people. Did it like serve as an inspiration for your film?
0: Yes. (laughs) 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 Uh, Yeah, no. When I I set out to do 12KM... Um, I wanted to make a film uh, that uh, one of the films that I loved as a kid and so I was very inspired by um, The Thing I was very inspired by Close Encounters Yeah, it's, it's got a lot of Spielberg in there um, it's got a lot of David Lynch in there um, it's got a lot of like uh, uh, Tchaikovsky I can never pronounce his name um, but it's got a, it's, it's, it's basically the kind of movie that I love um, and I learned pretty early on, as I started to make shorts, the best thing for you to do is to make a movie that you want to make and really sort of jump right into it and make it exciting, make it fun, make it interesting. Uh, and hopefully it worked. I mean, did you guys like it?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. Did you guys, uh, were you guys uh, uh, rolling your eyes when you had to read subtitles? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah because because uh i don't speak russian by the way so that's a big thing i decided to make a movie in a language that i don't speak which was uh quite an adventure to say the least
1: i'm guessing it took a lot of google translate
0: Ah, uh, no i i basically what i did was um I ended up hiring two translators. So I had two translators on set all the time. So I would have one translator translate stuff. And then I would ask the other one, is that what it was? <laughs> so I was constantly cross-referencing what was happening. And then most of my actors could speak English, but the professor couldn't. So he uh, could only speak Russian. So I had to have everything translated from him. And he is a famous uh, Russian uh, play actor, Uh and he's older, and so he comes with his own uh, Russian opinion on how things should be, and he's looking at me like, who's this dumb American kid? And so for a while, uh, it took us uh, a little while to get on the same page, but I'm happy we did because he killed it. I thought he was great in it.
1: Thank thank you very much. Sure. Yeah, yes. Gosh, we've got a standoff right here.
0: Uh-oh. Oh, the rock, paper, scissoring.
1: And it's tied after one. And there it is. All right. I like that you're coming to me. Like, it's a square.
0: Sort of, I
1: like the play by play, though. Yeah. So I have a question. Yeah. Um, your show is called In Love with the Process, and I, I'll admit that I actually haven't listened to it yet, so I don't know if this is something that's come up um, in the past, but... Um, mm-hmm what what's kind of your story of falling in love with the process? And was there ever a moment when you were sort of unsure as to whether or not you were still in love with it? And did you ever like have to refine that spark? Does that make sense?
0: Yes, totally does. And, uh, it's a good question because it's very true. Um, what happens, I think what happened with me is that you get tempted in this business. Um, by life like life comes in and really sort of fucks with you and whether or not it's you know maybe you decide to get married and you start to have kids or you have like this debt that's breathing down your neck or you decide to go into business with somebody that has all that kind of stuff it starts to really mess with you and once you start to find a little bit of success in what I call these transitional careers so like uh, I never set out to be like. I'm not going to retire as a commercial director. Like I'm not going to retire as a photographer. You know, like that's not why I'm here. I do those jobs a to make money, b to get experience, and c to keep myself busy while I'm working on the other stuff. Um, and I found myself getting tempted or or falling into a situation where I was making good money, or I had to start to make better money. Um, And then the next thing you know, a year goes by, two years go by, and you're like, "What the fuck am I doing?" Like it's, you're you're deep in it, and you're just doing corporate stuff. You're doing stuff for corporate clients, which is soul sucking. Like I love my corporate clients, and I love the people that pay me, and I get to work with. But if that's all I'm doing, put a bullet in my face, like someone bring me over a shotgun, Uh, because it's the worst. And that's that's my opinion on it. And that that may be why you went to film school is that you can't wait to. Go work for one of these guys that that give you shit about the the shade of blue on the sweater in the background. And it takes you like 45 takes to pour beer in the right way. I mean, it's soul sucking. Um, and I think that I got into that position uh, right before I had my head injury. And I don't know if you guys know the backstory. So. I, right when I was doing a lot of, I had a lot of success with the commercial world and I had a lot of success with music videos, um, I went on a date, so I started to date this girl who I liked and, uh, we would go out and do stuff and she asked me to go ice skating and I had never put on a pair of ice skates in my life. I was 35, never put on ice skates. And so I was just blowing her off. I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, at some point we'll go ice skating. No big deal. Um, and then uh, one day she gave me the whole, well, we never do what I want to do, mine. And, and so I was like, well, all right. What's the worst that's going to happen? Maybe I'll uh, sprain an ankle or something. And so I go to one of the biggest ice skating rinks in the city, put on these ice skates for the first time, step out on the ice, and I slip, fall backwards, and I crack my skull. So I end up uh, cracking open my skull and uh, end up in intensive care for five days have a hematoma forming on my brain. They won't let me go to sleep. I start having like crazy visions and I start tripping on it. Um and then once the bleeding stops, I go into 5 months of recovery. So I was essentially pulled out of my work. And I had never taken a break and I was forced forced to have a break for at least 5 months, if not 6 months. Um and was lucky to be alive. And in that time period, uh because of all the really crazy stuff that I was going through, I was convinced that my inner voice didn't belong to myself. And that's where I started to think about 12 cam. And I wrote the script for 12 cam and I did all that stuff. So the head injury was that wake up call that I had, uh, that was like, look, dude, you're not doing what you want to do. Um, use this experience, use this horrible experience as a tool, use this horrible experience as an inspiration for something fantastic. Um, and because of that 12 cam existed. And when I came back out of that, I had such a great appreciation for everything. And if you're going to start doing a film, and you guys probably know this on the level of stuff that you've done, everything takes forever. Everything's a process. Casting's a process. Location scouting's a process. Just sitting around and talking with people's a process. Like everything is a, a hard process. And if you're in this business to just be on set or if you're in this business to be that person that stands up on stage with their arms crossed, and you're like, "Look what I did!" You know, check it out, Dad. I beat you. You know, if that's why you're in this business, uh, you're going to be pretty miserable. And one of the things that I learned to do that I love now is I really fall in love with the process of making movies. All these little steps, and I really enjoy them. I said earlier that I went and I location scouted a power plant. It was like a it was like a Tuesday. On a Tuesday, I had access to a power plant during the peak of, like, terrorism. I don't know how I pulled that off, but I had access to a power plant on Tuesday. I'm in a security booth, putting on a hard hat, walking into this place, and the woman that's in charge of it is like, I'm gonna give you a guided tour through this ancient power plant, but first, I would love to sit down with you and give you my notes on the script. And I was like, sure, <laughs> why not? So let's let's do that. And this was a Tuesday. I mean, I was walking into places that had dust on the floor, that hadn't been touched in like 15 years. Like my footprints were the first footprints to go through this place. And I knew at that point that I had to love this stuff. I had to respect the fact that I had the ability to do this. Um, And I started to really enjoy these steps because at the end of the day, my career, my life is built primarily out of these steps. And that's what I spend 95% of my time doing. I'm on set maybe 5% of the time. The rest of the time is prep, convincing, and location scouting, and all that other shit. Um, so you have to fall in love with it. And I think that uh, when I had enough young folks like you guys uh, reaching out and asking me advice and how to do these things, I realized that there really wasn't an outlet out there for it there's uh, an ass load of uh, YouTube videos out there on unboxing videos and like gear videos and all that kind of crap, but no one's actually uh, telling the truth. And a lot of it is all propaganda, you know, social media propaganda. You guys know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. And so that's kind of where In Love With The Process came from. And it was me falling in love with, falling back in love with the process of everything And now when I have guests on the show or when I have people on the show, sure, we talk about what they do and we talk about, you know, films, of course, or photography or music or whatever it is. Um, But I'm more interested in the love that they have for all the steps. I mean, doing music videos, I learned pretty early on, like when I did that Meshuga video, we shot that video and then had to deliver it to the band and the band was on tour. So they were doing a massive tour and they were touring with Ministry. So if any of you are metal fans or hardcore fans, they were touring with Ministry and Fear Factory and all these different bands. And these are bands that I grew up listening to uh, in my MTV youth days. And so I was like, holy shit, this is like a big deal. Um, and I remember we were gonna, we got invited to go and hang out on the tour bus. And it's like a big tour bus. And it's like, oh my God, we get to go hang out on a rock star, big band, metal band tour bus. And so we end up climbing on this bus and there are just a bunch of nerds playing video games. <laughs> there's no like, there's no like drugs or like crazy sex stories. There's none of that. It was just a bunch of nerds sitting around playing video games. And, uh, you know, the more time I spent hanging out with musicians, the more time I realized that for them, it's about that hour, hour and a half every night on on tour that is the best but most of their time is spent in a bus in a in like some dank back room gas station lobbies like all that stuff that's what their life is and so I'm more curious about the process for them and and do they enjoy that and why did how did they find a way to make this nomad life interesting you know
1: that's thank you that's a really amazing story
0: oh huh. well thank you that's a very polite way of saying that <laughs>
1: Yeah. Oh, I guess I'll pass it off to someone else's question. Um before I ask my question, I just wanna say um and actually I actually did message you when I was down in Florida on a shoot. It was like my first shoot and I did PA work, and I just wanna say it's fun as hell. Um, oh, I good. just got a lot of experience doing a lot of that, and it was really great. Made a lot of connections and everything. Um, but my question is, is how, do you, when you, how do you approach storytelling? Both, you know, whether it's you know, sitting at your computer, typing up a script, or like on set deciding what shots are going to be the best uh, mm-hmm. shots to tell your story and what you're trying to get across to the audience.
0: That's a big question yeah there's a, there. there's a lot of there's a lot yeah. of elements in that question um, and I could sit here for I could do a whole podcast right now with you about that um, I would say I had to learn one thing they didn't teach me and one thing I had to teach myself is that your creative brain is a muscle, so it's very similar to working out or or to uh, just to working out honestly and and you have to. You have to teach yourself. You have to come up with methods to stay, A, creative, but also be able to do it quickly. And this is one thing I learned when I was doing music videos because music videos are such a fast turnaround. Like, We'd get a call from a label, they'd award it last minute to us, and then we'd have like two weeks to to produce it, to shoot it, and then turn it around. And so uh, we had to be able to come up with ideas quickly. And one of my uh, favorite tools in my toolbox is my inspirations folder. So I have a folder on my desktop that is basically an inspirations folder that I've been collecting images and putting things in for, oh my God, it's probably nine years, 10 years now. And whenever I see something that I really like, maybe it's a color, maybe it's framing, maybe it's wardrobe, maybe it's something else. I just take them and I categorize them and I just throw them away in this folder. Um, and it's not stuff that I'm going to rip off. It's just, if someone comes to me and asks me to come up with an idea and my mind is blank, I'll just go through my inspirations folder and I'll try to be inspired by these images again and find something that ties into what project that I'm supposed to be doing and go, Oh, right. This is, oh yeah, I wanted to do something through glass that had water running down it. This is interesting. All right, maybe this will be an idea. And so having that inspiration folder helps keep me on my toes. And then putting that folder together is sort of flexing my brain too because I'm sort of categorizing things that I like and I'm learning about that. Uh, Because one thing that we do in this business a lot, whether you're doing commercials or movies, is they, they ask you to create mood boards or treatments. And one of the most difficult portions of doing a treatment is that they're like, can you show us pictures of this idea that no one's ever shot before? And it's like, well, how the fuck do I Google search something that I haven't shot? <laughs> it's like this really difficult thing. Um, and so my inspiration folder is big for that because I'll have images. Maybe it's like colors or contrasting colors, or maybe it's a lens choice or something like that. And I'll start to pull those images to use those for my treatments. Um, that's how I sort of stay in the creative mindset and I'm trying to flex that all the time. And then as far as like storytelling goes, I have the same kind of thing. Like I have a bunch of little binders that I have with ideas. Like if I have a really great idea for a story or I have a really great idea for a character and I just don't have a home for it, I'll just write them down in this binder and I'll leave them there. Um, And that's kind of how 12 cam came about because years before my head injury, i had heard about the actual site, the drill site, the hole, the 12 kilometers, the scientists, the well to hell story. And when I had heard that story initially, I'm like, "Ah, I'd love to shoot something like this. This is a really cool world, but who the hell is going to pay me to do it? And how does it work? And it wasn't until I had my head injury and the sort of psychological trauma that I was going through. And I was trying to figure out a way to give it a backstory and sort of give it a creature. And that's when I was like, oh right, that story about 12 kilometers and all that kind of stuff. And and I re- honestly it came to me because I had it written down like two or three years before that. So um, I think it's a good practice if you're someone that wants to be a storyteller or screenplay writer or, uh, or a director to have these little folders of ideas. And if you have an idea, don't try to force it into something. Like if if it if it's just an idea, and you're like, I don't really have a project for it. Put it in the book, you know, because it, it it'll show itself when it needs to, like later on the line. And it might be a year, it might be five years, it might be six years in the future where you're like, Oh, wait a minute, that idea that I was thinking about works fucking great for this thing I'm working on right now. Um, and uh, I think that's an important thing to to take away from it. And like I said, I can go on and on and on about this, but am I e- even answering a piece of your question the right way?
1: No, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's no, oh, that's fine. I'm I'm cool with that. <laughs> it works. Thank you.
0: Um, and the only thing I would, the only other thing I would say is I'm obsessing about this. Um, and you know I don't mind giving away this stuff because I feel like I'm not threatened, and everybody has their own story to tell. And there's so many people in my business that are afraid to give away ideas because. Uh, they're worried that they're not going to get hired for jobs. And I, I, I try to convince everybody that I work with, like, look, the reason why you get hired isn't because you're good with a camera. The reason why you get hired isn't because uh, you're a good editor. If you're out for a job, if you're bidding on a job, if you're a director that's putting in for a gig, you're getting hired because you're taking that idea and putting it through your life experiences. And that is what makes your work. And a lot of folks talk about, like, how do I find my style? Like, I don't know how to develop style. Your style is a side effect of your life experiences, your work experiences, and you trying to figure out how to deal with life trying to fuck up your movie. (laughs) Is really what it comes down to. Is that a lot of your style and a lot of these techniques are you trying to come up with answers to... The location person going, you have to be out of here in ten minutes. Or someone coming up to you going, the actor that you wanted won't do it. Or the camera gear that you couldn't, that you really wanted for this piece, you can't use. So how do I shoot it? And dealing with those experiences are what develop your style. Um, I forget where I was going with this, but I think I was giving you guys something good there. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah! Yeah, no, definitely. Thank you.
0: Yeah, yeah. What else you guys got?
2: Hi.
0: <laughs> Hi.
2: So um I got a question about um so I know you said how uh people that want to get into the industry you start as a PA and get those connections. Uh is that the same way that for like someone works up to being like a director? Is that the same kind of process or is there cuz I know people act like uh you know becoming a director is like uh really really like uh I mean everything's difficult, but they act like you have to be uh you know um uh, you have to do special things to become a director. Is it the same process as uh being anything else in the industry?
0: Well, let me ask you this right what do you what do you think a director does like what what do you guys what is your definition of what a director does? There you go, putting you on the spot.
1: <laughs> you guys yeah, is yeah. It, is that for the room? Yeah, for the room. Yeah. Translates the script into a visual art
0: form. Okay, okay, that's very romantic. I like it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. their own style to the Okay, once again, romantic. You guys are very young and romantic. It's nice. Okay. <laughs> All right, that's part of the job. Uh, uh, okay, look, let me let me let me let me help you out. <laughs> uh, you are not wrong. So those things are definitely part of what the director's job is. But honestly, what your job is as a director, whether or not you're writing a script, or whether or not you're working for somebody else, like if someone gives you an idea and then you take that idea and you make it your own and you put it through that romantic stuff. A lot of that stuff is stuff that you do by yourself so a big part of the director's job is the prep so it's all about preparation and in that prep you can either you're either storyboarding or you're shot listing or you're writing out character backstories or you're looking at outfits or wardrobe or going through your inspiration folder that is the prep and in that period of time that's if you're doing your own project, it's nice because you usually don't have a time frame, and you can just spend as much time as you want to do all that prep and put it together. But if you're working for a commercial, like I just did a Sam Adams commercial uh, last month, and I literally got hired on Tuesday, and I was on set on Thursday. So sometimes your prep period is nothing. Um, but the main job of the director, you're essentially you're essentially a taste maker. So essentially, what happens when you're directing, whether you're doing commercials or you're doing movies, you're casting. Your first big position is casting. And casting actors, yes. But also casting crew people. So you're casting people that are going to work for you that you know when you're in the weeds and you're at that 15th hour, their fallback tricks in their toolbox is going to add to your movie or save your film. And so casting is a big part of that. And then when you're dealing with your crew positions, so you're dealing with production designer. So like, I don't know if you guys have ever worked on something like this, but normally what happens, as you know, the director is usually the captain of the ship. And what I like to say is a director is a submarine captain that is going to convince a bunch of people to get into a boat that has holes in it. You guys are going to go underwater. And as you go underwater and the thing starts to sink, you're like, everything's fine. And that's really what the big job of a director is. Um, But you have your keys, right? So you have your production designer, you have your cinematographer, uh, you have your assistant director, you have your producer, you have your key positions. And so all that homework that you've done, all that nice romantic stuff that you guys talked about, you have to figure out a way to take what you've envisioned in your mind and make your mouth try to deliver it at 60%. You know what I mean? Because you're never going to get that idea out of your head at, at 100%. And most of the crew people that I work with now are great because they know me well enough that when I go, you know, just do the fucking thing, they go, oh, right. We know exactly what that means because they've been around me long enough to know what that means. But it's the hardest part about directing is, is verbalizing what is in your head or what your ideas are in your head. Now, the second hardest part about it is understanding and being okay with the fact that you're not a genius. And I don't buy into the whole idea that there are genius directors out there. I think that's PR. I think that's marketing. I think that most directors find it, make decisions and choose things, and then say that they had the idea afterwards. I think that's a big part of what most directors do. Um, Because at the end of the day, my job is to say yes or no. And so if I convey my ideas to my keys, what I was saying before, my key positions, like my production designer and all those folks, they start to present options. And these options are either their ideas, them trying to articulate what your idea is, or maybe it's the restrictions of your budget or the location or the time frame. And so you have these choices. And it's almost like you're sitting at a a fancy restaurant and people are walking up to you with trays going, which meal do you want? And you look at these trays and you go, I'll take the cheeseburger from that plate, I'll take the french fries from this plate, and let's put a little custard on it. I don't know why, but let's put some custard on this thing. And I go, do that. That's most of the time, that's what my job as a director is, after I've done my prep. So this all comes back to your question. You need to understand and know how all these different positions work before you can even pretend to direct them. So you need to understand how sound works. You need to understand uh, what kind of microphones you need for sound. You need to to be in the edit room with some really shitty sound. You need to fail miserably at it and learn that lesson and go, you know what? I'm actually going to slate it next time or you know what? I'm going to plant some mics next time. I'm going to do this stuff. You need to have those experiences and the fastest way for you to get those experiences is to learn on someone else's mess up and to be in that position where you're learning from another director who is going to do their screw-ups and you get to learn from their screw-ups. That is important and that is what the PA position can do because we all we all mess up, man. We all screw up. You're never going to get stuff that's perfect. If you saw the first cut of 12 cam, you'd be like, whoa, you know, it's like a, it's a big improvement. Um, and the best part, I love going on sets right now. And it's really hard as a director to go on other directors' sets because there's ego involved and some people get embarrassed. Um, but I really enjoy it. I enjoy going and hang out with other directors because I get to see them. I get to see how they handle the shit that comes at you on set. Those last minute deals, those last minute exchanges. Like how do you process it? How do you handle that stress? Um, and so if you want to be a director and you want to be a good director and you want to be a director that has a long career, I definitely suggest that you spend as much time as you possibly can with every department that is involved with making a movie because then no one can bullshit you. So if you know, if you've hung out with wardrobe and you understand, uh, how long it takes to outfit an actress, well, you understand you've hung out with makeup and you understand how long they're actually working and how long they're just in there gabbing and gossiping. You know this stuff. So then when you start to plan out your days as a director and you start putting together your shot lists and you're like, okay, so I'm going to try to do like 25 setups. And the, right away the producer and the assistant director are like, you're out of your fucking mind. You're not going to be able to get 25 setups in a, in a 12-hour day. There's no way you're going to do that. I averaged on 12 cam about 25 to 35 setups a day. steady cam, dolly, and everything else. And the only way I was able to pull that off is because I know physically, know how long it takes people to set up a dolly. I know that it, I can save time by keeping it on a dolly uh, to get to these shots because then I can get twice the amount of coverage with it. And the only reason I know that is because I've spent time hanging out with the key grips and the dolly grips on other shoots and having those people complain when the director's like, I think I'm gonna shoot over here and let's take it off the dolly and let's put it over here. And seeing these people go through the, the laborious process of taking that fissure apart and putting it on a tripod and then putting it back on the fucking fissure again. And they're sitting there going like, God damn it, if only this guy or girl could figure out how our job works, we could be a lot more efficient with this. And the only way I figured that stuff out was by hanging out with those folks and being there while they bitch about it. Seriously. And that's that's like a big part. That's a big, big part of it. I can tell you guys stories of my first films that would blow your mind. And a lot of that stuff is being a part of miserable, like I've been shot in the face with blank guns. Like I've, I've had all sorts of crazy stuff happen on really horrible independent shoots, but I learned so, so much from it. I had my good friend who's an electrician almost died on a chute because uh, now that we have LEDs, you don't necessarily need as much power to be able to light stuff. But at the time you needed uh, generators because they had such large light sources and generators cost money, way too much money and permits and like union guys and all that stuff. So one of the cheap ways to get power out of a building was doing what they call a tie in which is essentially going down to the circuit breaker at that building and literally uh, almost like jumping, like jumper cabling into the main tie-in to the street and then creating breakout boxes from that. Um, And then you can can get a higher current to be able to to light with. It's a very dangerous position to do. And I remember we were doing like a 15-hour day and I was hanging out with my friend who was the electrician and he was down there trying to do a tie-in. And if you cross the streams, it's one of those things. you cross the streams, he turns into vapor. You know what I mean? Like it's a, it's a brutal thing. And so he's in there doing this tie-in bit, and he's talking to me as he does it. And this young, inexperienced producer comes in and decides that they're going to take a picture of this because they think it's cool. And they're using a camera that has that low-light focus thing where it sends out that little red dot to try to get focus on a wall. And so that little red dot shows up right in between the arc points and it distracts him and he ends up arcing it and blows himself across the room. And at that point he survived. But at that point I looked at it and I went, this is a big deal. And the producers had been rushing people and like, just tie it in and get it going. We got to get our shots. And I realized that if I'm asking people to do tasks on a movie set, a lot of times it's, it's a life-threatening task. And now that I understand what goes into that task, there's no way in hell I would ever be pressuring that person to do it faster. I would have them go in the day before. I would try to figure out and plan the, sh- the shootout. And the only way I knew that is because my friend almost died, and I saw him almost die on that and being on that shoot. So back to that toolbox shit. Toolbox is full of experience. Toolbox is full of these moments that you have. And these moments in the early years of you PA-ing are more valuable than $200 a day. These moments will shape your career. These moments will be there for you when you suddenly end up in a position where, oh my God, I'm directing a crew of 50 people that are union people and they know more than I do these moments are what you're going to fall back on when they come to you and they start slinging bullshit and they're like, ah, you can't really get that done in this time. And you go, I've been there. I know how long it takes you to do this. So I'll give you five minutes more than that. And that's important as a director. Wow. That was a rant.
2: Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you for answering that. That was really good advice.
0: Well, I hope it sticks. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Uh, I could give you guys a little bit more time if you guys have some more questions. Like, what are we at? What are we doing?
1: Yeah, uh, we do have a question. A guy just jumped up out of his seat.
0: <laughs> all right. <laughs> He's
1: a. I'm a guy. You're you're a guy. Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm a uh,
0: hey, I just want to say my name is Jonathan Wallison. First off, hi. Give a hi. name to to the voice. Um. So. It's going to take a while for me to get this question, but I have a uh, uh, an amazing idea for a movie that I would love to make into a feature-length film. Uh huh. So I'm not gonna spoil it because I'm sorry. I just I don't trust people in this room to not take the idea. Uh, <laughs> I just want to know how how do I go about like uh, getting making money for like getting money for it and to actually make this into like a Hollywood-esque type uh, film. How many uh, short films do you have? About two. Two, huh? And how do you feel about them? Are they good? They could be better. Okay. Well, then do more short films and make them better. All right. Honestly. I mean, if you have a really great idea, don't fuck it up yet. Yeah. Like, seriously. Write that idea down. Put it in your book. Because I'm telling you right now, I have two features in development right now. And I've been in development with these features for about three years. And I'm in development. I I can't say because I'm recording this. I can't say who I'm in development with, but they're two big, big Hollywood places. And it's it's going to take a while for them to get going. And the only reason why I even got into this place, so I didn't tell you guys, because of 12KM and because of the quality of 12KM, uh, I had someone write an article for it online. And uh, that it just so happened that that website was read by all of the agents and management and assistants that work for... Uh, the studios I got from that film representation. So I got repped as a from management company. I eventually got repped by UTA as as an agent. And that short film got me into 30 of the biggest production company rooms in Hollywood. So like I was going and meeting with the people that created movies with dudes with chainsaw arms, with people that created movies about giant robots, with people that created movies about aliens, like the alien stuff. Um, and the only reason why I was in there was because of the short, 100%. And it was so cool to be in that position where my team, my management team, had just sent it out to everybody with an email that said, shut the blinds, put on some headphones, and watch the shit. And these these people wrote back asking to meet with me. And then when I went into these rooms, they wanted to talk to me the same way you guys do. They wanted to talk to me about 12 Cam. And so if you want to make something for Hollywood, if you want to get a Hollywood film going, you have to make a fucking killer short. And here's the thing. No time is wasted. So make shorts, until, make shorts until they rock. And you'll know when they rock because you'll never be satisfied. Like as a creator, you're never satisfied with what you're doing. But you'll know they're awesome when you're watching it with an audience. And Here's another tip. Don't be afraid to watch movies with an audience. I know there's a lot of people out there that get squirmish, that they can't do it, and they claim they can't do it. I think that is the biggest injustice to your craft if you don't force yourself to watch a movie with an audience. Because I don't know if you guys have noticed this or not. There's this weird, uncanny thing that happens where if you watch it with someone who you don't know, you start to see everything that's wrong with it. Is the best way to learn how to be a director. It's the best way to learn how to be an editor is to watch stuff with an audience. And so to get back to your question, I'm sure you have an amazing idea. Write that fucking idea down and then start making shorts. And if you're smart about it, make shorts that are gonna practice the techniques that you're gonna use for that idea. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's what I would do, dude. Or, you know, do the Kevin Smith shit. You know what I mean? Go out there and fucking make a feature. Like if you, if you have access to a feature and you have access to all that stuff, then go out there and fucking do it. But if you're looking to convince people to give you money, if you're looking to convince people to give you like their time, their talent, their resources, it helps to have a great short, uh, because then you can get a good DP like, uh, David Cruder, who shot 12 cam. Uh, I got him because he knew my work as a music video director. And he knew my work for years, and he, he knew that I was a cinematographer because I shot all that early stuff. I shot most of that stuff. Um, and uh, he was like, fuck, you're looking for a cinematographer? And I was like, well, yeah, I'm going to direct a movie in another language, so I'm not going to do <laughs> I'm not gonna, I'm not going to try to shoot it and deal with people speaking in Russian. So uh, I want to work with you. Um, but he said yes because he had seen my work. All right. You know what I mean? Yes, sir. And dude, it's not fucking time wasted. Like it's 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 awesome. I actually really love doing exercises. Like if you decide that you want to just learn how to do steadicam work, like if you want to learn how to do uh, blocking, if you want to take like twenty people, twenty actors, and not move the camera, put the camera on sticks, and have the actors walk around in that frame and walk in and out of close ups and in and out of coverage. All those tricks are going to go in your toolbox, man. All those things are going to show up in there. So that way, when you're finally doing your feature, you're going to be able to rely on that shit and tell stories with the visual language of cinema. There's so many boring fucking directors out right now that are just like so script involved and everything is so formulaic. And it's just like, everybody seems to forget the visual language of cinema. There's a reason why you choose a lens. There's there's a history, there's over 100 years of history uh, adds to an audience that reacts to certain techniques. Understand what those techniques are. Understand how the audience reacts to those techniques and then use them and use them to tell your story. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I'm uh, intimidating you. You not sound very all quiet all. over there. <laughs> not at all. Sorry, I sat back. I was in attention mode. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, as you can tell, I get very passionate about that shit because, um, I, I, dude, I love the fact that I've done so many shorts and I love because I, after I did 12 cam, I did who's there, which you guys haven't seen. I did a whole nother short, which is now being developed. Um, and when I got on the set of who's there because of my seven days shooting 12 cam and all that experience I went through the, my set for who's there was so great. It was like the best set I've ever had um and after i did both those movies i was confident enough to sit in a room across from michael bay's people and go i can do this i can totally do this and honestly with your help this movie's probably going to be easier than the shorts that i had to do so let's let's do it all right i'm down that's what i would say dude yeah
1: Yeah, do we have time
0: for another question? Sure, bring it up. All right. Yeah. You talked about pre-production and nothing ever goes according to plan. Um, What I wanted to ask you, because some of your stuff is narrative-driven, some of it the music videos, some of it's not, but when you're working out your shot list with your cinematographers for, say, 12KM and your
1: storyboarding,
0: when you get to set or when you get to the editing room, do things fall into place the way you map them out? Or do you generally find that things often have to go in a new direction, either because of some
1: limitation or because something better presents itself?
0: Yes. Um, here's a side story for that. That'll, that'll tell you. When I, when I was in school, when I was back at New York Film Academy, I was obsessed with uh, Hitchcock. Obsessed, obsessed. And I was shooting at that time, we were shooting black and white 16, no sound. So it was silent filmmaking. Um, and so we were cutting on steam Beck. So we were cutting like cut paste kind of stuff, which I'm so happy that I learned how to edit that way because it taught me how to be uh, a more economical shooter. Um, but anyway, so I, my first big film that I did at that school, I storyboarded the whole thing out. Uh, when I was younger, I wanted to be a comic book artist. So I have some skills. Uh, so I went through and I storyboarded it exactly the way I wanted it. And then I went and I shot it exactly the way I storyboarded it. And I I got through my shoot quickly because of that, because I had my plan in place and I was able to bang it all out. And then I went into the steam back and I just went through the takes, found the best take, and I cut it exactly the way I storyboarded it. And that whole process was so fucking boring. (laughs) It was so boring. The most exciting part of that process for me was doing the storyboards. And then everything else was incredibly boring. And I was in this room, I was editing in this basement with like 15, 16 other Steambecks and other film students all working on their stuff. Uh, and I just remember uh, having all the spare time because I was able to cut it quickly. And I would walk around and hang over the shoulder of other people while they were working on their films. And I saw how much fun they were having because they were, were finding things. and they, would, they, they accidentally found something amazing and they were pulling it together and they were making it in the edit. And uh, I was envious of it. I was like, fuck, these guys are having a better experience than I did. And uh, afterwards, what I took away from that was I'm a storyboard guy. I'm a planner. That's what I do. I, I, I do my prep. I have everything in place. And if you come to one of my sets, I have all my boards for the entire thing up on my set so that everybody can see it. Doesn't matter who's there. So everybody on the crew knows what the movie is because they can see the storyboards. And those boards are there as a guide for us. Those boards are there as a scheduling guide. So we schedule it out, but I I try to keep room on my stuff and my schedule to go off the rails or to find something new. And when you're there shooting, you have to be fully aware of what's going on. The boards aren't the Bible. Uh, My film, Who's There? Just the way an actress delivered a line changed my next 10 shots. Like I literally threw out my boards and changed the way I was doing stuff because of how an actress delivered a line. And that line delivery inspired me to do it completely differently. And so you have to be ready for that But having those boards are great because then if you and the crew went out the night before and you guys got hammered and you guys are like a horrible hangover and you show up to set and you go, just do this. And you point at the wall, then everybody knows what to do. And at least by the end of that day, you'll have something in the can. You know what I mean? Um, And then it comes down to editing. So I think it breaks into three different distinct stages for me. For me, it's all about the prep when you're reading a script and you're putting it together and you do the boards. That's the first time you start to see a movie and you start to put that together. Then you deal with production and production is a heartbreaking thing where it's like, well, I guess I can't get that many people or I guess I can't get a fucking car to explode. You know what I mean? Like all that kind of shit. So production and shoot changes things. And then you get to the end of that shoot and it's exhausting and then the edit You sit in a room and everything gets thrown out and you literally have a a collection of bins full of clips and you're trying to organize those clips into some sort of movie. So it's three different stages. and And each one of those stages can be exciting. Each one of those stages is heartbreaking. Each one of those stages is stressful. But in those three stages, that's when you end up with the final movie. And honestly, no matter what position you're in, if you can get into an edit room and watch how a movie comes together. It will be invaluable to you as a crew person. It'll be invaluable to you as a director, um, because movies are made in the edit room.
1: Thank
0: you. Does that answer your question? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Thank
0: you. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Excellent. Uh, I got one more question. I got time for one more. Because I got, I got one ended. All right, dude. I wish, (laughs) I wish man, I, his, I've told the story on my podcast before I was a terrible student and I'm like one of four. I'm the oldest of four kids. Um, and when I was in high school, I was so bad at, at class. I was failing so many different classes. My mother had me grounded. So every time I got like a D or a C, I was grounded from watching television or movies So I literally was grounded for four years of my life, so I couldn't watch movies or TV for my high school career because I was grounded for the whole thing. Uh, So I missed a lot of that stuff in the theater. And remember once I graduated and I'm like, well, fuck you. Now I'm on my own. I can do whatever I want. I went out and I rented and I watched like weeks and weeks of viewing movies that I missed. And it was a beautiful thing but also a terrible thing because – in a, like For instance, I'd have a week where I went out and rented Alien, Aliens, Blade Runner, The Thing, and I watched all those in a week period, and I was like, wow, this is amazing cinema. And then after I made it through everything like that, now, modern day, I'm like, man, everything's so fucking boring. <laughs> um, so no, I did not get to see The Thing in the theater. But I have seen it since. Uh, there's a bunch of midnight screenings that happen around, and I have seen it in the theater and I highly suggest you guys go to midnight screenings because movies look so much different on the big screen. Um, and there's so many details that are lost uh, on televisions and even worse on your phone.
1: Well, yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, that's, that is basically, I've got one last question if you've got time. Sure, buddy. So, we uh, we're working on a lot of stuff, and a lot of us are about to, um, in the next year or two, are going to be looking at getting internships. And okay. so, my my question to you is: Should we be looking at getting into a production house or a uh, or a place that's in New York, or to get away from where we're at to throw us into basically the deep end, or? I know, and, and I know you talk about uh, rental houses a lot and yep. things like that. And I'm just wondering, do you have any suggestions of where we should be looking to put ourselves to get us into the best position to prepare ourselves for the rest of our careers?
0: Um, it really depends on what it is that you want to, or what you think you want to do. So here's the best way to answer this. So back when I was talking about my buddies when I went to film school... And um, uh, they were like, hey, stick around in New York, and I, I I didn't. So the two guys that stayed, um, one of them uh, ended up going and becoming the head page at Saturday Night Live. Um, and if you guys watch 30 Rock, and there's that, that character that's sort of the Midwestern character in that, it's loosely based on him. Uh, and then he ended up becoming a segment producer and a producer at NBC um, and he's had a great career doing that. And then the other guy ended up, um, going and, uh, interning at a trailer editing studio. Uh, I think it was called Geronimo at the time. And these guys were cutting the trailers for like the matrix and no country for old men, like all the big stuff. Uh, and he became uh, a trailer editor and that was what his job was. Um, and then. Uh, there was me who I ended up going back home and I learned how to start my own production company. I became a freelancer and I started making my own movies and fast forward 18 years now to having two movies in development by Hollywood folks. So there isn't a path that is set for everybody. And I think it just depends on your goal and it depends on your motivation If you're someone that's a go-getter and you're self-motivated and you can do stuff on your own, uh, then maybe you try to make your own movies and maybe you try to get right into that. If you're someone that needs deadlines, if you're someone that needs structure or needs to play with that, then go work on a crew or go intern for a a post-production house facility. Um, You can learn a lot interning for an editing facility, or a special effects house or something like that. Those jobs are strange, though. They're very 9 to 5-y uh, at heart. But then if you become an intern at those places, you're usually there for like 15, 16-hour days doing like insane shit. Um, I'm good friends with the dudes over at Company 3 in New York. They're like the biggest color grading facility they do. Like all Michael Bay shit they do. I, I'm about I'm about to do a podcast with one of the head colorists in the next couple of weeks. Um, and those guys, like... Starting out with, with companies like that, it's brutal. Like they literally, you're, you're bringing coffee into places and then it uh, becomes like you're a, like an assistant and you're loading and you're, you're, you're uh, setting up projects or you're setting up bins and uh, you're that guy that sticks around for the renders while everybody goes home. So post-production is pretty rough, um, but it's a good way to get in and learn if you want to be an editor and you want to get into that stuff. Um, and the same thing can be said about crews. Crews are a fucking hard life, man. Like being a crew person is like the closest thing to being a carny. <laughs> Ultimately, uh, like it's it's brutal on your body. Uh, the hours are intense. Like if you work on a feature, uh, you could be twenty four days, six day weeks, 16, 17 hour days a week with one day off, and then uh, then you're fired at the end. Like crew positions are pretty rough. They 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 they're pretty rugged. Um, but they're a fucking blast and they're a lot of fun. Um, I think the older you get, uh, the harder it becomes to be a crew person because your body starts to like really hate you for it. Um, and I think that's why unions are important. And I think that's why rules and regulations are important for the folks that are in it for life. Um, and who knows? I I mean, California, it's supposedly a little bit different. I'll let you guys know after I've been out in California for a little while, but I'm talking from East coast. You guys are East coast. So I'm talking East coast mentality, which is like cold, bitter, brutal, (laughs) you know, mean, um, but it's fun, dude. It's fun. I I don't, I don't know if I have this, this, the, the, the path, like there's no plan. There's no path. There's no, there's no set of rules. Like you really have to examine yourself. You have to look at, you have to really judge yourself. You have to sit there and go am i fucking motivated? Like am i really motivated? Like do i if if it's a Saturday and i wake up do i go hey i'm going to go shoot something today or, do, or am i easily distracted by people and by tv and by all that kind of stuff? Um and if you're if if you are like i said get structure. Go put yourself in a place with a structure. If you're not then you never know. You could be the next Kevin Smith or you could be the next Robert Rodriguez. If you're somebody that is driven and you're not afraid to talk to people and uh, you're social and uh, you're, uh, you, you don't have an ego and you're unafraid to be wrong, then sure, I think you could be a good director, you know?
1: Absolutely. Thank you. There it is. There it is.
0: <laughs> there it is. Hard truths. Uh, is this what you guys are expecting from me? All right, yeah. I'm, listen, listen, I was lying the whole time. It's so amazing. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to get out of school, and like your social media account is going to blow through the roof. Just post on your social media account that you're a film student, and it's just going to go through the fucking roof. Oh. It's going to be so amazing.
1: See, we we're, we're millennials. We know it sucks and then we die. Like, we got that.
0: <laughs> no, it doesn't suck and then you die. This is what it's about it's about falling in love with this shit. It's about not it's about not uh, lying to yourself. It's about sitting there going like, am I really impressed with all these steps that I have to go through? Am I really curious? Like is it I I mean, what I for years I did over 40 documentaries with Harvard. So I I was shooting documentaries for Harvard's alumni department and we would go in, we were the first ones to do docs on like stem cell research and all this stuff. And so I got to go in rooms uh, and be in places. And because of that, I've been in, I can say, honestly, I've been in almost every single building in the city because of being on a documentary team. Uh, There isn't a neighborhood, there isn't a street that I haven't been down. I know the city like the back of my hand because of that work. Uh, and it's kind of cool. And it's like, that's that's the fun shit. It's like, those are the side effects of doing stuff in this business is, is actually getting access to those things. And, and if you can convince people to let you in your life, and, and when people feel like they're a part of your art and your passion, they will literally open their back doors. They will open up to you on such an amazing way, in such an amazing way. And if you have empathy um it'll destroy you it'll be amazing so like that's the truth of it it isn't the whole you're going to be famous and you know you're going to have all this shit no you you're just going to have the ability to learn about people and to 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 know people and create relationships that will stick with you for the rest of your life and honest to god like the past 18 years of my life have gone by in such a blur i always joke around at the fact that when I got home from film school, I stepped into a DeLorean and I've been in one ever since. Like it's fucking time travel time. Uh, and my life is defined by these little pegs in my timeline. And those pegs are usually a project that I did or uh, an experience that I had or people that I meet along the way in this job. And that's that's what I can promise you will happen in this business if you stick with it that's the romantic side for me um, it's that you're gonna if you can embrace it you can fall in love with this shit uh, it's a good life Thanks and there's the the, the end of my bullshit
1: right <laughs> <laughs> well seriously Mike thanks so much for hanging out with us I mean, Jesus fucking Christ that was that was a lot of stuff that everyone needed to hear and and we know we needed to hear and it's just it's good to fucking hear it, it
0: really well great. and i hope I, I I'm not here to scare you guys I hope I'm doing the opposite because it's no, not about are. scaring you guys you really
1: mm-hmm. are like i you can't see everybody's faces, but like this is motivation
0: good that's what it is good, good, make shit, go do shit you know, have fun doing it you know, and then you guys can always reach out. You guys can always contact me uh, until I can't be reached or contacted anymore because uh, I'm I'm hot shit at that point. You know what I mean? Then my whole my whole my whole attitude will change. Good. <laughs> so so
1: we caught you before them, which is nice. Yeah. <laughs> All right.
0: I'll become an arrogant piece of shit and an art, like an auteur at that point. I'm a genius and I've meant this the whole time. And that's,
1: <laughs> Phenomenal. That's what it'll be. And then we get to be jaded and be like, yeah, we remember him when
0: when he was real. <laughs> right on. All right. Uh, well cool guys. I, I, I appreciate this. It's 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 been fun chatting with you.
1: Yeah this has been a fucking blast. This rocks. Seriously thank you again. Uh again from everybody at, at Kutstown uh, uh from MBS chapter. Uh we, we really appreciate you being able to take the time out of your uh, schedule to talk to us.
0: No problem man. Not a problem at all. Well, cool. And then you guys are all going to be—I'll uh, see how this plays out, but you'll all be on the episode. So, uh, whether you like it or not. You're on the <laughs> okay, guys. I am. See, here's 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 the other side effect of being a filmmaker. It is nine o'clock, and I have not eaten dinner. This is why I'm going to be a fat piece of shit.
1: Ah. <laughs> uh. Well, I'm not going to stop you. I'm not getting between you and food, so like, let's do this.
0: <laughs> All right, guys. It was uh, really good chatting. I'll talk to you later. Yeah, right.
1: have a go. Bye. And
2: <laughs>
1: Great fucking work, guys. <laughs> like Seriously, give yourselves a round of applause. Great fucking questions. <laughs>
0: So thanks for listening, everybody. And I hope uh, some of that was informative. Um, It's weird. Like I was saying at the beginning of the show, uh, it's a very strange thing when you've been working in this business long enough and people start to recognize your work and then you start to get asks like I did today where folks ask me to come and talk to young film students. And I highly suggest if you're an older filmmaker or photographer or someone that's been in the business for over 10 years, give back to the community. Because the more that we share our stories with each other, the more that we understand like what we're supposed to be getting paid, the better it's going to make the workplace. There's so many times where uh, I'll get outbid or underbid by somebody who just doesn't understand their worth, doesn't understand the steps that they should be taking to protect themselves, um, and so it's just really good to educate those around you, and it's a, it's a really rampant sort of sickness that runs through uh, freelancers where it's like, I don't want to share. Because if I share, it's very uh, uh, competitive and people are going to steal my skills and steal my style and all that kind of stuff. It's bullshit. I've been sharing for years. I've never had someone steal my style. I've never had someone do something that I've told them on this show and lost work because of it. I've actually got more work uh, because I open up about things and because I talk to people and form better relationships with my clients and with the folks that i speak with so i'd love to do it um, and i'm also available to come and speak at different events and stuff if i have the time i'm here so you can always reach me you can reach out through inlovewiththeprocess.com drop me an email that way or you can write to me uh through my website uh, mikepetchy.com i love doing it i love meeting new people and i'm no stranger to it i've spoke to classes before i speak at nab i've speak, I've spoken at different conventions Um, it's a lot of fun and uh, I've met folks at these conventions that I still talk to all the time Um, so like I said if you ever need someone to come and talk I'm available and as you heard uh, in this episode I give away a lot (laughs) probably too much Um, so yeah I thought this was a cool episode it's a little weird it's a little off-topic but um, I figured I'd make the most out of what I had to do tonight and I'm very excited for the new stuff that's coming out. We've got a bunch of really good stuff in the pipeline, a lot of strange, different artists. I actually sit down and talk to uh, video game developers and concept guys. It's a whole new avenue that I haven't talked about on the show. Um, And it's very similar to what we do in the film business. Uh, I think you guys will find it really interesting. So that is definitely coming up. And we're bracing ourselves for the coming of Godzilla. I might have a little episode coming up on that too. So I'm um, really excited that you guys are sticking around. Like I said, at the mid-roll, uh, please support the show. Go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. There you can donate uh, by clicking on a $5 donation button, or you can sign up for that Audible trial. Uh, it's audible trial backslash whatever I haven't written down the fucking URL. I will put it underneath this episode, so you can just sign up for it there. Everybody that signs up, we get a little bit of loot. Uh, You get a 30-day free trial plus a free book. You know the deal. You've heard me say it on the show already. So it works, man. We get paid because you guys sign up. Uh, And it doesn't cost you anything. So it's really great. So do that if you love the show. And you know what? I'm also going to say this. If you are digging the show, a lot of you guys i have been looking at the stats. And you guys are listening uh, through Apple Podcasts. You can leave a review and rate the show there. Do it right now, because I know that you're listening right now. Literally open the app up while I'm talking to you and then go to that part where it says reviews, rate the show, give it the rating that it deserves. I'm not going to tell you what to do as far as that's concerned. And then leave a review. Say, Mike, it sounds great. Mike, you're full of shit. I don't care. Just leave a review on the show. It helps. It helps with our rating. It helps where the, uh, the podcast ends up. So, those are a couple things that you can do to help the show that don't cost you any money guys and i appreciate everything you do for me I appreciate the fact that you guys are still listening um and i love being able to do this for you so that being said let's see is there anything else i want to talk about no you've heard my voice enough today so thanks for not shutting it off i love you bye